Coming up on this episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Chris, the biggest thing is just don't give up hope and just keep trying. And if you, if you hit a wall, try elsewhere. If you're not liking what you're hearing at your doctor's place, go somewhere else until you like what you hear because you always have options. That's probably the biggest advice I can give. Just don't give up. Welcome to the Colon Cancer Podcast, stories of struggle, hope, and survival in the face of colorectal cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein. Welcome to episode 48 of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. A lot to cover today. Uh... Where do I start? Goodness. Um, let's see. Since the last episode came out, uh, yours truly had his second uh, lung ablation treatment, RFA, radiofrequency ablation treatment. Uh, I've been dealing with a couple of nodules, one in each of my lungs. So I had the first one taken care of back in April. And then about two weeks ago, uh, they tackled the second one in my other lung, uh, kept me overnight just to make sure everything was good, which it was. I got sprung the next morning and uh, I'm proud to say that I uh, did about a three and a half mile walk this morning along the brand new, beautiful Hillsborough River, downtown Tampa River Walk. If you're ever in the Tampa Bay area, check it out. It's really cool. Uh, so you hear, you have heard me talk a lot about uh, the importance of exercise. Uh, for me, it's more about the, the psychological than even the physiological side, though certainly there have been, uh, it's been documented the benefits uh, physically as it relates to uh, your cancer the importance of exercise if you are able. And uh, I am very fortunate that I am able. So this is an important part of how I handle my current uh, situation. And uh, many of the other folks that I've had the pleasure to interview, uh, Nate Allen talked about it, and you'll hear it uh, in a few minutes on this episode when Yana Downing talks about hiking and how important that is to her. Uh, some events going on in the colon cancer community I want to bring you up to date on for the folks in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, coming up on Saturday, August the 28th from 530 to 830. There's an endless summer luau at the Beer Garden uh, with cocktails, beer, Polynesian dancers, fire throwers, coconut husking, hula dancers, and more. My goodness, sounds like a lot of fun. I wish I lived closer. And all of the proceeds for that event are going to benefit the Colon Cancer Alliance. For more information, check it out on ccalliance.org, the Colon Cancer Alliance page, uh, web, web page. Also, there is a uh, early age onset colorectal cancer educational symposium. How's that for a mouthful? On Saturday, September the 10th at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas, an all-day symposium from 7.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. Uh, for those of you that want to learn more about early on age onset colorectal cancer, this is something you definitely want to check out. 
And then a number of undie run walks coming our way. Undie run walks, scope it out run walks, uh, take your pick. They're uh, a great way to get out, meet some wonderful people, have a lot of fun. The Philly undie run walk is coming up on Saturday, September the 10th uh, at 9 a.m. right on Martin Luther King Drive next to the Art Museum. Uh, We'd love to see you out there for those folks that are in the Philadelphia Pennsylvania area. And on the same day for those folks over in Madison, Wisconsin is the scope it out 5k run walk. Uh, that takes place at Rindell Park in Madison. Uh, so if you are in that area, we hope to see you out there on Saturday, September 10th. And then there'll be another scope it out, uh, coming up the week after, uh, in Pittsburgh, uh, on September the 18th, that is a Sunday from 9 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. at Southside Heritage Trail. Uh, so that's the Pittsburgh Scope It Out Run Walk. Um, and then we've also got another undie coming up later in September over in Cleveland on September the 24th, Saturday the 24th uh, from 9 to 1030 at the Flats you know, over in Cleveland. Uh, so all those great events, if you've not had the chance to check out one of these fun run walks, they're just a great uh, event, a lot of fun, uh, obviously benefits a cause that's important to all of us. So if you live near any of those areas, do check it out. Then we have an online live webinar coming up, and it's all about what should I eat after colorectal cancer? And this webinar is coming up on Wednesday, September the 21st from 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern time. A healthy diet can reduce your risk for cancer, uh, but there's a lot of questions about what you should and should not eat. So check out this webinar. Information on all the events that I just discussed can be found on the Colon Cancer Alliance. Alliance webpage at ccalliance.org forward slash events. I want to take a minute and thank the sponsors of the Colon Cancer Podcast, the folks over at H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution, terrific product for those of you that are struggling to stay hydrated. Uh, Unlike the popular sports drinks, H2ORS does not contain any artificial colors, uh, sugar, artificial sweeteners, etc. And it's a terrific product to help you stay hydrated. And if you visit their website at h2ors.com forward slash sample, enter your information, they'll send you out a couple of samples to try. And then when you're ready to make your first purchase, use h2ors.com as your promo code when making your purchase, and they'll take 10% off your first order. As you heard me discuss on the previous episode, I'm incredibly excited and honored that the colon cancer podcast is going to be featured uh, as, as part of an upcoming documentary film called The Messengers, a podcast documentary. Uh, this is uh, an awesome project. I'd love for you to check it out. Uh, more importantly, if you can support it financially, anything that you can contribute to the cause is greatly appreciated. To learn more, visit their website, themessengersdoc.com. 
uh, like their Facebook page, you can see there's a number of trailers for the film. And that's really the only way to really see the level of professionalism that uh, the team behind this film, my good friends, Chris Kremitzo, Sala Zayas, Willie Harper, and Neil Gilarte are traveling literally the world. They have been to Guatemala, Puerto Rico, uh, my home here in Tampa, Los Angeles, Ohio, and I can keep going, putting this awesome film together. Do check out the trailers again at the messengersdocdoc.com. And I'm excited that uh, the Colon Cancer Podcast is going to be part of this film. Uh, also want to let you know that we have created a Facebook group for the Colon Cancer Podcast. Uh, it is a private group, so you do need to ask to join. We just got to make sure that we're keeping out the spammers and those folks out of the group. But if you're a fan of the show and want to learn more about upcoming ed- episodes, uh, have follow-up conversations about the episodes we've already shared, suggest future guests, we'd love to hear from you. Come check us out at uh, on Facebook and look, f- search for the Colon Cancer Podcast Facebook group. My guest this week is Yana Downing. Yana lives over up in Seattle, Washington, and uh, she is doing so much to not only uh, look after her own care and treatment, but to give back to the colon cancer community. She is the moderator and founder of Stage 4 Colon Cancer, which is a Facebook group and uh, has done a lot of her own research, been a real advocate for her own care and treatment. And I really enjoy talking to her and getting her perspective on all the challenges that all of us stage four survivors are facing. So join me now for my conversation with Yana Downing. Hi, Yana. How are you today? Thanks for joining us. Good. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. You came highly recommended. Uh, we were talking before the show started. Uh, thanks to Dr. Tom Marsilia. He and I were chatting, I think online, and your name was the first to come up as, as one of the next people I should talk to. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> and, and like I said before, I'm not sure. There, there must be a really tight uh, community of colorectal cancer survivors up that way because you're at least the fourth person from the Seattle area that I've interviewed uh, so far. You, Dr. Tom, Anita Mitchell, Darren Hozier, and that's without me even looking at my list. So right off the top of my head. Well, actually, Tom uh, is down in San Diego. But <laughs> oh, he's in San Diego. Uh, thank you for reminding me. Yes. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> but obviously he knows you and your story and, and recommended yes, that we, we chat. Yes, we talk a lot. So. Yes. Uh, so tell us, uh, how did you come to be diagnosed? Um, well, I was a very active person working, you know, started hiking quite a bit. And when that happened, I started having some rectal bleeding. Uh, so at first I contributed, you know, to the fact that I was exercising more. Um, just didn't really pay attention, but it persisted. So I promptly went to my primary doctor, told him about it. I was 39 at the time. And he basically didn't even consider that being an issue. He just kind of looked at me and said, oh, I don't think it's anything. I think it's hemorrhoids. And I said, well, you know, I have cancer in my family. I'm concerned that it might be cancer. He looked me right in the eye and says, at your age, it's one in a million. So I walked out of that appointment feeling like nothing was going on. Uh, however, the bleeding continued for another, it was kind of off and on, 
for another maybe six, seven months. And I was very busy working, you know, raising a family. So it took me a while to get back to him again. And when I did, he eventually said, well, I think you should have a colonoscopy, maybe. So he referred me to a gastroenterologist at Swedish here in Seattle. Uh, that appointment took another two months to make because uh, I guess they didn't consider it a big priority at the time. And when I went for the appointment, they didn't even think it was anything also. And I remember being awake. I was actually quite conscious for the whole procedure and just seeing all of a sudden the doctor hitting this mass in the column. And I'm thinking, you know, what is that? I just remember that chill going down my spine seeing that. And all their faces just kind of went straight and just very grim. And they all got really quiet. And they didn't say anything at the time. And she couldn't even get past it. That's how big the mass was. Hmm. And they basically ended the procedure right there. Uh, I went to the recovery. And I'm just shaking at that point because I knew what was going on, you know, intuitively. Mm-hmm. And she comes in and says, well, I think you have a cancer and we need to do a CT scan right away. So they sent me for that the next morning. Uh, I had the scan. And, of course, they don't tell you anything right there. And she had asked me if it's okay to give me a phone call instead of coming back in because, obviously, I work during the day, so it's a little bit difficult. So the next day after the scan, actually it was the same afternoon, I'm sorry, I'm going to pick up my kids from school, and as soon as I'm pulling in the parking lot to get my kids from school, she calls me. And she goes, hey, how are you? And I said, well, that depends what you have to tell me. And she's just this nervous laughter on the other side. <laughs> and she goes, well, it's a cancer, and it's also stage four. You have cancer in your liver as well. And I'm right there in the school parking lot. Mm. And I'm, what does it mean? And she's like, it's stage four cancer. That's the last stage cancer. It doesn't get any worse than that. And I'm again, well, what does that mean? Well, I need to refer you to an oncologist. That's all I can tell you. Nothing else. So she just they really had no other information. Mm-hmm. And I had to pick up my kids. So I just hung up the phone and tried to compose myself, literally not to start crying right there and there. And somehow I managed not to start crying. I don't know how. And picked them up, didn't say anything. And, you know, texted my husband about it. And he at first thought I was joking. Really? (laughs) Yeah. It's that nobody had remotely even thought that it was anything that serious. And, yeah, I just tried to not say anything in front of the kids and just thinking to myself, you know, what am I going to do? And just pretending like everything is okay for the entire evening. And then I went home. And of course, the first thing I did is I started Googling the diagnosis. And when I did that, of course, the first thing that popped up is the survival statistic. I think it was 8% officially online. And I'm thinking I'm dead. (laughs) Mm. It's... Yeah, and I haven't seen a doctor yet, so it's like the first thing that you do when you get the diagnosis is you hit the internet. And I'll get back to that later, you know, why I started a support group because of it. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it was just horrific. And I, you know, I started telling my husband about it, and at first, again, he didn't think it was that serious. And I just remember in the middle of the night, I see him looking on his phone, Googling the exact same thing. 
you know, with, he thought I was sleeping. <laughs> uh-huh. So you caught him. <laughs> yeah. And, and he, he broke down the next morning uh, on the way to work driving. You know, he also realized exactly how serious the situation was. And right. it took another 24 hours to get in with the oncologist of Swedish, which, you know, during that time, I'm just sitting and, you know, thinking, you know, this is it. This is it. Uh, I'm sure you know how it is. Of course. Yeah. And, and then we went to see him. Uh, and he said that I need to have chemotherapy right away and have chemo for about six to eight rounds. And that there was a good probability that I could have surgery on the liver and I could remove those tumors. So that's what we did. Uh, I did, however, go for a second opinion. I knew, obviously, as I think anybody should, that you should do that. So I went also to the Seattle Cancer Care Alliance and saw somebody there, and her plan was pretty much the same. Uh, the problem with them was that they couldn't get me in for at least two weeks because they're a much bigger center. Right. So I decided to go with, uh, with Swedish here in Seattle and started chemo literally two days later. And... Yeah, because it was my mass was pretty much obstructing me, so probably another mm -hmm. couple of weeks that I would have had an emergency surgery as well. I see. Yeah, so that's that's how I got diagnosed. Okay, and as I read through your bio, you know, you just talked about jumping right on the internet, which uh, you broke rule number one: uh, stay off the internet when you're first diagnosed. So for any of our new listeners, yep. Uh, don't do that. However, as I read your story, uh, you later on use your research to really become an advocate for your for your care and your treatment, didn't you? Yeah, I, I do it a lot now. Uh, I read about this disease all the time, and I, I read things that my doctor probably doesn't read about. Uh, you know, anything from off-label drugs to procedures that are not available here and just statistics that are coming out now. So that's where Tom and I talk quite a bit because he's uh -huh. obviously you know very knowledgeable as a doctor in, sure. in that area. But I would you know PM and say, hey, you know, what do you think about this theory or what do you think about that? Uh, but my biggest thing is just again I started a support group which is the stage four colon cancer on Facebook is to tell people what questions to ask they're doctors, and that's where your research comes very handy, is you need mm -hmm. to know what questions to ask, because I have found that oftentimes they don't tell you a lot of stuff. Well, I, we, we've all run into that, absolutely. So I just wanted, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. There are many wonderful uh, support groups for colorectal cancer uh, patients, survivors, caregivers on Facebook. What specifically, what void did you see that uh, motivated you to create your own? Well, the first group that I joined was called Colorectal Cancer Warriors and Survivors, I believe, or Survivors and Warriors. Mm -hmm. And it was an uh, all-stage colorectal group. It was a really good group for me. It helped me tremendously. Um, and there were, again, people stage one, two, three, four. And it was... After a while, I just noticed that if you're stage four, you kind of have a little bit of a different need. And I didn't know exactly how, I mean, obviously it, it sounded a little bit maybe offensive that, okay, if I have stage four, it's a bigger stage, it's more important than yours. It's not like that. But it seems like the discussion between stage four people was a little bit different. And it 
people with different other stages couldn't always relate to that idea that, for example, you're on chemo for life. And you would have people come in and say, you know, I'll be done with my 12 rounds of chemo and, and that's it. And I just noticed that people sometimes wanted to talk separately as a stage four group. And that was number one why I did that. And then I knew that Collentown has um, groups as well, but those groups are secret, so you can't find them as a newly diagnosed person. So that was the biggest motivator is if you are stage four and you got diagnosed today and you hit the internet, are you going to find a group that's stage four that you can get into right away? Because by the time you find out about the Collentown groups, you're usually two to three months into a diagnosis. So I wanted to capture those people that are just getting diagnosed right now so they can get some questions answered before their first appointment with the doctor. And that was the main reason why I did that. I see. What are what have you found in running that group? Or what do you see in common uh, amongst the people that, that join the group as far as what they need? What they need? Well, the first thing I have found about it, it's not really what they need, but that everybody in the group has really reevaluated the priorities in their life, and they really are into living life. That's the one thing I notice. Um, so they, they really make the best out of every day, and that's how, honestly, the discussion oftentimes is about that, how to live your life. Uh, what they need is just the understanding of somebody who's in the same shoes, who you know, literally death is knocking at your door all the time. It's, it is what it is. It's no way really to phrase it differently. But at the same time, you see people surviving for many, many years successfully and just enjoying life. And you just need that reassurance that that person can be you. That's what I think they get out of it, that it can be you. Well, as, as someone who joined your group, I will say, yes, you're, you mission accomplished. You're definitely doing that. Uh, I found you, uh, to be the, the spark of being very welcoming. Uh, I know when I joined and I see what you're doing with others and and providing a safe online forum for people to have conversations. And, And I really enjoy reading how other people, like you said, are, are living their life. Yeah. So, uh, good for you. Good for you. It's, it's not about me. It's about everybody else in the group. And, and that's one thing that I really want the group not to be about me because it isn't, uh, you know, we basically screen the people who come in. I would post some questions to kind of start a conversation here and there, but mostly it's about everybody else. And, and that's the one thing about the group that I think is also nice that it's, we're pretty hands off. Uh, my co-admin Bill Rami. And I, mm-hmm. uh, we just, you know, we obviously would delete posts if they're inappropriate, screen people, but otherwise let people just have the conversation and then live in the direction they want to. And we haven't had any issues actually at all. So it's been great. Good. So recently I interviewed, and I don't know if you know Nathan Allen, who lives down mm-hmm. in Oregon. Yeah. Uh, you know, Nathan's all about his walking, and I read your <laughs> bio, and you're all about your hiking. I'm all about so my hiking. <laughs> tell me, tell me about hiking. How hiking helps you? It's my escape. Uh, just being in nature really helps me reset that mentality of. Number one, being afraid, because I'm sure you know there are times, no matter how optimistic you are, that you're just paralyzed, literally, thinking about everything that's going on. As soon as I go out there, that goes away. Um, 
So it's, it's like my sanctuary when I go out there. And second, of course, is the exercise. And I've made it a point to keep moving every day because obviously I, I do believe that it contributes to beating the disease. Uh, I think being active is very important and I've read all kinds of theory behind it, behind it. But I'm also, I'm experiencing it. Even, you know, when I was on chemo, I would walk and I would hike with a pump. Mm-hmm. Which, Me too. Yep. Me too. <laughs> and I, it helps. It helps you feel better. And I actually handled chemo well, I think. I mean, I haven't had chemo like some people have had over 100 rounds. Obviously, I only had 12 so far. I have been off chemo for 12 months now, just kind of waiting to see what happens. And I'm enjoying that, obviously, very much. But uh, even when I was on chemo, I was doing it every day, and I was pushing myself, and I was pushing myself. I would go hiking like two, three days after a major surgery. And it just makes me feel like I'm doing something. Yeah, I share the story uh, just like you, uh, that when your heart rate goes up and you start to perspire it makes you feel like you're not sick. You're like, they, I can't be sick if I'm perspiring and breathing and all those things, right? Well, that's the strange thing. I never felt sick. I, I had the side effects from the chemo, but I have not had a single symptom of being sick. And that's what makes it so difficult sometimes to understand is that you feel so well, and yet you know that, you know, that stuff is inside you. Um, but some people do feel sick, so it when I talk to others, I try to, you know, you can't really discard, you know, it's easy to say, oh, why don't you just go hiking and everything will be fine. It, it doesn't work that way. Sure. It, you know, no, it, you're it, right. For some people, maybe it will not be the answer. But I do know that if you do try an exercise, it will help. Even if you don't feel 100%, it will help you fight the disease. The science is behind it. So. And the other thing that caught my attention uh, reading your bio, Yana, was that uh, your diagnosis rekindled and re-inspired you to pursue your passion for art and painting. That is right. Uh, I, I grew up with a fine art education and wanted to be a fine artist growing up. And then, you know, the money factor entered the equation and... I realized that as a fine artist, I wouldn't be making nearly as much as I do as a, as a graphic designer. So I chose to pursue the graphic design for, for a while. And it worked out really well for me. I really love my job. I work for a wonderful company. Uh, it's been great in every aspect, but there was this void that I was feeling that, you know, I have this God-given talent and I'm not using it. So I would literally have no time to do anything. I would want to paint and I would have the canvas sitting there and it would just sit there for months and months and I, I wouldn't have time to touch it. Um, so when I was diagnosed, I'll, actually let me backtrack a little bit, I was turning 40 just before I was diagnosed. So I remember thinking to myself that, okay, 40 is kind of the midpoint of my life and there's so many things that I've wanted to do and I haven't done. And one of the things that I thought that I should get back to is my painting. And I'm thinking, okay, you know, I probably have another 40 years <laughs> to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then I got diagnosed and, and they said, you'll be lucky if you have four. <laughs> so I remember thinking, how can I fit all the stuff that I wanted to do in those four years? And it's not that I plan on being here for only four years, but it just switched my perspective. 
I still plan on living a much longer time and fighting that to the end. But it just gives you the perspective that maybe you don't have all the time in the world to waste, that you really should get going with what you love. And that's what I did. I started painting again. I just found, found the time somehow. So you were kind enough to share a few uh, pictures with me of you with your artwork, which which I'll include uh, on this post uh, for people that uh, might be out and about. Uh, you'll find it, uh, Yana and her story and this podcast at thecolincancerpodcast.com forward slash zero four seven. The paintings are absolutely beautiful. Tell me where does the inspiration, what are you trying to convey through your art? It's mostly my emotions. It's really nothing specific, but the things that I'm going through in a really, I guess, abstract way. Uh, a lot of them is related to dreams that I've had, actual visuals that I get in a dream. But usually I would just get the painting, say I'm driving down the freeway and all of a sudden it would just come to me. Uh, but it all, in a way, relates to what, what I'm going through. Uh, for example, I think one of the ones that I sent you, which is the woman laying down with a snake sneaking up on her. I had started that one right before I was diagnosed. Uh, it was the first painting that I was actually kind of trying to do. It had been sitting there for a long time on my tripod. And after I got diagnosed, I realized that I actually knew that the disease was sneaking up on me. I'm not sure if you know which one I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I do. Yeah. No, well, yeah. I'm picturing it as you're as you're yeah. describing the story. So the first thing I did, there is an ego in that painting that's attacking the snake or is about to attack the snake. When I originally started that, that ego was turned around and looking away. Uh, and the first thing I did was turn it around and made it attack the disease, which was my kind of expression uh, of me okay. fighting it. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it's just an example of something that I put in there which relates to the stuff that I'm going through. But there are a lot of things that I hide in those paintings that if you keep looking at them, you will you will see them. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, I'll need to go back and study a little closer. Yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in there. Okay. And, and uh, you have plans to uh, use your artwork uh, to give back, don't you? I do. Uh well, one of the things I do is all the proceeds that I have for the paintings right now, part of it goes to Anita's Foundation. Uh, that's the first thing I did. But the bigger thing we want to do is to have an exhibition which focuses on living with cancer. Um, and that's something that Anita and I are working on. We haven't really found a venue yet, but it is in the, in the process of working and getting awareness on what is it like to live with that disease. And really, it's life, life to the fullest and just kind of bring the spotlight on what we are going through as cancer survivors, warriors, whatever you want to call it. I really don't like either one of those words, actually, but just yeah, so with cancer. Sure. Uh, yeah, the, finding the right word sometimes is, is a challenge. Uh, I, I think the one that uh, I, I struggle with the most is the whole uh, symbolism around battle and winning and losing yeah. because there's no such thing as winning and losing. No, I call it uh, negotiating with my cancer. Just negotiating. Me, yeah, leave, oh, okay. me, leave me alone long <laughs> enough so I can do what I have to do in life. Uh -huh. And, you know, if, if I have to obviously have cancer for life, that's something that's clearly an option and people do that and, and do just fine. Uh, when I was first diagnosed, I was all set on getting the cure because, you know, my doctor was talking about the cure. And as, you know, things go, I want to say wrong, but they go as they go at stage four. 
I realized that even if you don't get the cure, you still live a very good life. So, uh, you know, Tom and I talked about that too, and uh, it looks from all the information that he has been so generous in sharing with the community, mm-hmm. uh, I know we're all looking forward to the day and it, and it may not be as far away as we think where we can just manage a stage four people uh, with this as a more of a chronic illness, like a type two diabetes thing. So, you know, where we can live our lives, like you said, and as the issues appear, we can deal with them and then continue to live. Uh, I know that's what we're all hoping and praying for. You know, the, if the cure is out of the question, if it's something we can just manage for many, many years, uh, I'll take that. I'll take that. I Actually, I don't think the cure is out of the question. I think that it really shouldn't be written off at any stage. Uh, oftentimes I see in the group that people are told, well, you can't there's nothing else we can do for you. And I said, well, wait a minute. If you have this surgery or that surgery, there is a good chance that they can take all of your disease out. And in fact, there have been at least two people already that did go and get a second opinion and did have a surgery that they were previously told they couldn't have and are now clean. Oh, I've heard many. Yes, you're absolutely right. So I'm not giving up on, on getting cured at all. Oh, me either. Me either. I was just comparing now versus, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I think we're absolutely all all on the same page. Uh, I do want to go back, though, and just highlight uh, something that you shared with me earlier, is that you challenged your doctors who were telling you, uh, going back to the nodules in your lungs, they're not they're nothing to be concerned with. And you challenged them and said, no, I think you're wrong. Yeah. And you you turned out to be right. I did. Uh, talk about that. Uh, I was just paying attention to my scans and, and they weren't. So basically I had the nodules when I was diagnosed that they, was, they, they were marked as indeterminate. And they kind of went away while I was on chemo or they, they weren't noting them on the scans. And then when I had the liver surgery, they kind of grew a little bit and they started popping up again. So I was off chemo for the liver surgery. They grew. I went back on chemo. They stopped growing. And when I had my scan, after I got down with chemo, the doctor tells me, you're cancer-free. And I'm like, great. (laughs) The only problem is I asked for a copy of the scan. (laughs) So I went home (laughs) and I started reading. This nodule has grown from... 0.4 0.4 millimeters to 0.6. That one has grown from this to that. So I'm like, wait a minute, they've all grown and they're still there. What does it mean? <laughs> and I, I knew what it means. They grow when you're not on chemo, obviously. It's acting like cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called him and I said, what do you think about this? He's like, well, yeah, but I don't think they're anything. Now, to his defense, honestly, I don't know if he really didn't notice them or he knew that even if they were, he wouldn't do anything, so he chose not to tell me. There's a good chance that that is what he did uh, because they didn't want to do anything at that point. They wanted to basically wait for another three months and watch the nodules. Uh, I did, however, demand that I see the, the lung surgeon right then, and he eventually, after half an hour back and forth with the phone call, agreed and referred me to the lung surgeon. And the end result was still the same. They still wanted to just wait. And that's what we did. So it really didn't make a difference at the end, but it was just kind of, I kind of lost faith a little bit when they tell you, well, you're cancer-free, and then you read your scan and you're not. 
literally half an hour later. So it, that just didn't feel good. Sure, I understand. But I think there's a bigger lesson in there for our audience. And this is one that I've talked about on many occasions with other guests, Diana. And far too often, and I'm sure you've experienced this too, is many patients take such a um, uh, uh, treat their doctors with such deference and go with everything they say, don't question anything, don't challenge anything. Um, How would you, uh, having been down this road yourself, how would you encourage people who have that hesitancy, perhaps fear, whatever it might be, to ask questions and challenge things? What, What would your guide, how would you provide some guidance to people like that? Well, I do all the time, actually, in the group, because we do get it quite a bit where they say, I trust my doctor. They, you know, they went to school for that. I didn't. So who am I to ask them? Well, who you are, this is your life. So I tell them that you have the vested interest in making this through this like nobody else does. And even if your doctor is vested the way they should be, they have a lot of patients and sometimes they simply don't have the time to read through things like you do. So that's number one, that maybe they just missed things because they have so many patients. Two, uh, they not, don't necessarily know everything. And that's one thing I've noticed about doctors that, like the stuff that we discuss, you know, with Tom, for example, they oftentimes have no clue about. Uh, so just giving them examples of situations that have occurred, such as mine, usually gets people to be like, oh, well, maybe I should ask the question. Uh, and sometimes they just refuse to, and there's nothing you can do about it. I've seen that too. Someone once shared with me, I'm not going to say someone because I remember who it was. It was Sue, Sue Kadera, and uh, Sue passed away a few months ago. But she told me on more than one occasion that, you know, some people just aren't wired that way to yeah. to speak up. And she said, you know, bring a friend with you. If you've got a friend who's uh, a little less shy, a little more willing to speak up, uh, bring someone with you who can help mm-hmm. and provide you with support. Yeah, it's good advice. And, and you mentioned that Anita has gone with you on some of your appointments. Uh, you know, she's amazing. And, and she she shared that with me last year when we, when we interviewed how she, she does that for folks. Uh, but yeah, you're right. I agree that it, that is good advice. Yeah. Anita comes to support me. Uh, I'm still the one asking the questions when she comes. <laughs> I, I, I don't leave those guys alone. I am all over them. And sometimes I ask too many questions, actually, and I get myself in trouble a little bit because I would ask him things that I don't, don't really want to hear the answer to. <laughs> and, you know, I end up getting that answer. Like, for, for example, my last appointment, I again asked him what my five-year survival statistic is. And I did not like the answer because it was still around 25%, which is better than the eight that I originally had, but it's still not what I want. And But I asked them, so <laughs> they kind of had to give it to me. But the truth is that they don't know how things will pan out for you. True. So, that, that's the bottom line. And I have to remember when I ask those questions, those probing questions that put them on the spot, they really don't know how you will react to treatment, uh, how things will exactly you know, fall into place with surgery and other interventions. So I have to remember that. And, and that's why Anita comes is to remind me that stuff. Sometimes she comes to remind me to actually stop asking questions because I'm, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm exactly on the other side. 
with that. So, That's funny. Yeah, it is. <laughs> then she has to talk me into, oh, you know, you should have really read into what they said. So for stage four survivors, Yana, that want to learn more about this Facebook group, uh, what's the name of the group so stage, that they can look you up? Stage four colon cancer. Very simple. Mm-hmm. As we wrap up, uh, words of advice for people that might be listening, whether either they themselves or someone that they're caring for, uh, you know, would like to reach out to you for some words of advice or inspiration. What would you share? The the biggest thing is just don't give up hope and just keep trying. And if if you hit a wall, try elsewhere. If you're not liking what you're hearing at your doctor's place, go somewhere else until you like what you hear because you always have options. That's probably the biggest advice I can give. Just don't give up. Don't give up. And my friend Dawn Eicher, who I talked to the other day, her final words on top of that were, fight like hell. So don't give up and keep fighting yeah Absolutely. you can throw some hiking on top of that too <laughs> and hiking hiking walking yes we'll, we'll definitely uh, go there uh, don't stop hiking don't stop walking uh, Nate says don't stop stepping we can do that too yeah <laughs> all those things keep moving yeah exactly keep exactly. moving or he said keep kicking the can I thought that was a nice analogy too <laughs> Well, Yana, uh, you know, uh, be well. Uh, I hope uh, future scans just continue to be better and better for you. Thank you. Uh, thanks for all that you're doing in the in the colon cancer community to make a difference uh, for this uh, stage four colon cancer Facebook group. And uh, be well. Yeah, I appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to me. I appreciate you doing the same. You take care. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Colon Cancer Podcast. Notes from this episode can be found on our website at thecoloncancerpodcast.com. You can subscribe to the podcast on our website, on iTunes, or on the Stitcher app for listeners using an Android device. If you or a loved one has a question about colon cancer, please visit the Colon Cancer Alliance website at www.ccalliance.org. Again, that's www. .ccalliance.org. You can also email your questions to us at info at the colon cancer podcast.com. Thanks again for listening. Be well, everyone.